but it's kind of like, okay, here's your contract. You need to fill this stuff out here, and then you read this section here. The thing about it that I've learned, and I had a great coach when I first started. He was really good about being ready only when I called him and said, hey, I got this, I got this offer to write, or I got this contract, and I don't really know. I don't understand, I guess, what I'm looking at 100% because every contract is going to be a little different, right? Right. You know, like you get down to your financing part, it's very important to have your financing part on there because for some reason, you know, if the rates were to jump and then, you know, you didn't lock in your contract to purchase and then your rates jump up, you may not qualify anymore. Oh, yeah. That, you know? that special piece inside of the contract. That's right. So oh, yeah. You, so you have that, but then also like things like, you know, clients like, you know, my offer looks really good, but, but they want so much money in closing costs. I'm not giving them that much money in closing costs. Well, that's fine, you know. Do you want to sell the house or not? There's yeah. ways around it. Yeah. Well, it's, and that's that's part of negotiations. I agree, 100. percent right. And you have to be able to understand how to play with those numbers in the event to to adjust and reflect. And we're coming from a, a time when the market was crazy, and you could just get away with not asking for it, and the mm -hmm. seller could say, "I'm not giving you closing costs." But that's not generally the case, especially now. So now you have to be able to reasonably look at those numbers and determine whether or not you're going to get a contract or you're going to walk away from it and potentially wait for something else to come along. There's other things that go into that too. Of course, you got to pay mortgages if you have mortgages. You have more taxes that you're paying as a seller. Well, I guess from my, my point of view, you know, people look at it as a hard number and they just think about it coming out of their bottom line. And, and some agents don't really understand like, okay, you want $5,000 in clothing costs. My seller says, you know, I'm not giving you $5,000 in clothing costs based on this purchase price. So we can always increase the purchase price. Yep. And at the act of sale, yep. you know, those closing costs come out and then the seller still gets what they wanted initially. Right. As long as, as it's negotiated, A, and B, as long as it appraises. Right. That's yeah. one thing that we can't control no matter what we do is we can't control an appraiser and, and they have their own values. They, yeah. they, whatever data they come up with, yeah. they, they have it from a special place right. and they're, they're more in depth than what we can do. Um, I think it's, I think that's part of the game with comps as well, too, when you're creating comps for a property and allowing for um, negotiation, depending on the market as well. You know, if you know that, you know, you may end up having to pay closing costs, then maybe you might work on those comps or the actual list price on the front end rather than um, worrying about it so much when you get into negotiations. I mean, and a lot of that also comes into how soon they need to sell the house. And there's a lot that goes into it. And every, every person is different. And you may not necessarily um, address how you're selling a home. Um, the same with every person. Well, and that's the thing about real estate that I do love and enjoy is, is that everything is is unique and individual to each respective property. It doesn't matter, you know. You know, I do land, so right. what I like about land is that every property is unique, it has its own challenges, it has its own terrain. Is it, is it wood or is it not? Does it have power, water, sewage? Does it not? You know, is it in a flood zone? What kind of access we're we looking at? And it's very similar to houses in that respect of, you know, you, you roll up and it's like, it's, it's four walls on a roof, different colors, different floors, different layout. Okay. And most of that stuff can be manipulated and changed when you're running your comps and you're looking at different things. And that, I mean, that's how you compare the stuff. And you have to look at all that stuff. And just because the, the MLS says, oh, it's this very similar property sold for this, 
you can't always base it off. Oh, that's 100% true. I mean, comps can trick you, definitely. I mean, because again, like you were saying, there there comes a lot down to it as well. The actual timing when you're actually trying to sell it versus how soon you actually have to be out of it. What are the potential pitfalls of the house? Um, what could become an issue with it? You know, it, and again, the layout can make a big difference too. That's actually a big one. I mean, if you, I went into one the other day, oh my goodness. And then they turned this entire carport into into a, just an extra room and called it a bunch of extra square footage but it's not like it's all that usable and it's not even the main portion of the house so even though i can call that living square footage i mean how call, much are you living in but can you call it living square footage because as you learn in real estate school the addition whether it's a closed-in or it's a new build yeah. or whatever it may be it still has to have the fit and finish of the main house and it did have brick exterior still like the rest of it i mean they had but the ac tied into it so but your ac your flooring has to yeah, be similar no it was, it was still, still bricked in and everything wow. it was yeah it's crazy well i mean you know like and again going back to different houses i mean it sounded like it was an older property you know, it was very you know, much. I don't know, it, it's something that's something that you see in Baton Rouge or maybe Denham Springs, uh, and even in some areas out here in Gonzales that are you know, that are rural. Older. It was it was a more rural property. It definitely was. Well, I mean, like take for example, you go into you know, Baton Rouge, you know, your older properties that have been around since the late fifties, early sixties. You know, it's a three bedroom, one bath with a you know, single car attached carpool. Right. I know my my great aunt and uncle had a house uh, over off of Hooper in Sharon Hills. It was three bedrooms, one bathroom, oh, wow. and the washroom was in a, a built room underneath the carpool. So you had to actually walk out of the house physically to go to the laundry room. I just renovated the house just like that. Mm -hmm. We actually busted out the wall and opened it up into where the washroom was. It was, but the, the washer dryer were actually located in the kitchen in this house. We busted out the wall and took over some of the water line that was already run. You know, talking about my great aunt and uncle's house, that was late 50s, early 60s. You know, they raised four girls in that house. Oh, wow. And at the time, I mean, that's what you did. I mean, like, you had a small house, you stayed there, you raised your family, and you had the bare necessities. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, you walk in there, I got to have a floor plan. Grander, yes. Everybody with their own separate bedrooms. Yeah. And you got to have a Jack and Jill bathroom, and everything has to have a unique flow and it's got to have 12 foot ceilings with triple step crown mold yeah and all that stuff is really really nice do you need it right yeah this is true but you can't but you can't compare one of these newer half style houses to something like that in yeah that yes. it's, just, it's apples and oranges and in <laughs> this house that i worked on in my previous career it was just like that i mean it was humongous had a huge footprint but it didn't have the high ceiling but it had the great room, then it had a separate living room, then it had a dining area, it had a formal dining area, it had, you know, a nice kitchen, and then, like all the rooms were down the hallway, but everything was, was bigger because, again, back then, you had a large family, you know, you had to have space for everybody. Right. You know, I mean, I know my grandparents had four boys in yeah. a three-bedroom house. So both boys bunked up in the, in the other two bedrooms. Yeah. You know, and my grandparents had theirs, and then the two boys each had their two rooms. That house was long. It wasn't real wide. Like an old shotgun style a bit? Kind of, but not quite as narrow, you know? Yeah. But I guess like, going back to it is, is they had what they needed. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a big fancy house, but they had they had oversized bedrooms. Yeah. 
you know, like the hall bath was oversized, but it also had the laundry room in there. So it was oh. a much bigger bathroom, but it had a laundry room as well. Right. Then in my grandparents' bathroom, it was just enough room to fit a tub, a toilet, and a sink. But they had they had what they needed to survive and, and you know yeah. keep themselves warm and dry and right. fed. Right. But it definitely didn't have ten or twelve foot ceilings. All right. But at that time, that was what they needed. Well, and it was. I mean, people loved it. That mm-hmm. was what people wanted. That's what people enjoyed. And it's true. Back then, I think it was a lot more of. You know, we have a lot of plantation homes around here. You know, they were all pier and beam, and they're still standing to yeah. this day. Now, the the materials they were using were a lot better because they were old growth stuff a lot of times. Especially down here we had old growth cypress they would use. Yeah. You know, which is really nice in its own right. Remember there was one house in Plaquemine when I went in. It was a seven bedroom, seven bathroom oh my goodness. house, three stories. But the interesting thing was that each bedroom had its own fireplace. Oh, that would be amazing. There was no central heating and air. Oh, then. that would make sense. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. So they had to have a heating source for each bedroom, especially when you're talking about multi-level. Yeah. You know. It's um, hard to think that in Louisiana there was ever a time where there wasn't central AC. Typically, no. We don't get the nice, cool, awesome weather. You know, we also have to deal with snow either, so that's a giant plus. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it does get cool enough. I mean, I, I'm ready to kick my fireplace on. And oh, I'm so looking forward to the next few days. Mm-hmm. Um well, I guess that brings me back to to kind of you know talking about the the beginning portion with the agents or the two is you know they, these are the types of things that they don't talk about in real well, estate school. No, they don't. They really don't. And you know it's and I would have to say that if somebody were to take a true real estate course on learning exactly these types of things, it would probably take a long time to go through a course. I remember still being brand new and having to learn those types of things myself. And not having a clue what I was doing. You were talking about the contracts. I mean, the right first time you write a contract for something like that. I mean, how do you know on an old house? What all you need to write into the actual contract to make sure that the contract is valid? Right. Well, and your job is to protect your client. You know, fiduciary responsibilities is to protect your client and to do what's right the best for them. So if I'm doing so and I'm a brand new agent and I get into this and I have an old house mm-hmm. and I'm not sure, you know, what all I need to be looking at or what all I need to write into it. I mean, what if it has septic? What if it has well water? I mean, I don't think they go over that in real estate school either. <laughs> I don't think they go over the addendum so much, but you'll, you'll learn that quickly. Yeah, especially in, hopefully you have a competent agent on the other side of the. Vehicle. Oh yeah, definitely. But I mean, taking it even a step further, I mean, we talk about those things. We both dealt with you know well water or, or septic systems and things like that. But I mean, think about in in even mid city Baton Rouge, a lot of those houses were built almost a hundred years ago. I know they're seventy five, eighty, you know, ninety years old. Back then, they had terracotta drain pipes and they yeah. had lead based piping. Yeah, you've got, I mean, everything from your um, electrical. I mean, th- there's so many different things that they yeah. go into that type of and stuff. And also, it's not going to be under contract. It would be an inspection. Yeah. It would be an inspection. But if you know your style of house and the area that you're in, you know, as, a, as an agent, being as in your profession, you know to look for those things. And, and to educate your client on what to expect. You educate yeah. your client. And then you can also say, like, it's still a great property. And these things can be overcome. Right. But we need to go in and challenge the price a little bit. That's and we exactly can justify right. our pricing based on these things that we found. Right. Yeah. You know, before we even get into inspection. Now, granted, you may or may not get an accepted contract. But, hey, you want to get into a contract, then file this stuff out. 
I mean, just say you get into a contract and then you have an inspection. Your inspector says, hey, you've got terracotta drain pipe. In. Right. It's fine as long as it's not cracked and busted. You don't have roots or anything growing mm-hmm. into it. But if you're maxed out on your budget right. and you're already coming out of your pocket to go through with your inspection. And if you have to pay closing costs or anything like that. And then you get into your house that you now own. And you come to find out all your drain piping is all busted up. Right. You replace it. I can run you tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and that, that home warranty is not fixing that one. Absolutely not. If your refrigerator goes out, give them a call. <laughs> <laughs> if a major system like your drainage goes out, we don't handle that. No, nope. that's true. That's true. But again, it ties back into, you know, contracts are important. And there's so much more to, to this real estate game than just, you know, meeting people and writing a contract. Oh, yeah. And it seems really easy, but it's those kind of things that you know that you can educate your client with. And that shows your true value when you're there. It does. I agree. How to how to explain that to somebody when all they're looking at is I've got brand new floors, I've got the thick three centimeter granite, I got a brand new roof, and I've got you know these four dollar a piece cabinet pools. I love it. <laughs> But I've got a cracked slab and it's sinking, it's sinking over here. I'll have to call a foundation company come uh-huh. in here and jack my house up. I got stair stepping in my brick. What I'm, well, it doesn't matter. It's your $4 piece. Your cabinet pulls are right, on there. Right. Your sink, your house is sinking. Right. How much is this person willing to adjust their, their price for to make to compensate for the things that are now going to have to be done? But unfortunately, if you don't know better, you don't, you know, but a lot of this industry is live and learn. I would have to say, I think having education though, and it makes things a lot easier. There's so many parts and pieces to the contract. You know, we just touch on a few of them very lightly. We're not lawyers. Right. Most of us aren't lawyers. I know some of us have transitioned into being lawyers. Congratulations to them. I know it's a lot of hard work. But you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're just trying to make money, but you're still have to protect your client. Because you'll have a you, you can have a bad name because you didn't know something to write it in the contract to protect your client. That's exactly right. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing for me mm-hmm. about a contract. And there's no worse feeling than being that agent. I mean, it, it's just like what you were saying with the uh, percentage rate. I mean, you've got rates that are going up like crazy. And if you put a rate on in that contract that says that you're expecting your client to get a, I don't know, 5% rate. And the rate goes up to seven percent before they ever actually lock their rate. Then, when you get a when you get a, a, a pre qualification, you're not a hundred percent locked oh, in. Oh no, not until you have a contract, right. right? But then some companies say this this rate is good for thirty days. Right. Some of them say, hey, this is this is good for ninety days. Right. So you have some time to wiggle around. But you also, you also have to ask that that lender as well. Say, what's the what's the the basis point or the, what's the buy in point? Because say you know, say you have a thirty day rate lock, right? And you're at thirty one, and you're waiting for the contract to get signed. Well, technically, your your rate won't be locked anymore, but you can pay a little bit of money to extend your rate lock. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Which helps a ton when you get into the contract, and sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of times, the lender will actually help to cover that as well too. Sure. Just because they want to see the actual contract through to the end, I think that's one of those stipulations where um, sometimes people just don't realize that that's an option, you know. And it is that's one of those that I think you just have to learn eventually. However, you know, because um, I think that's one of the biggest things with real estate, to be honest, through and through, is there's generally options. Oh yeah. In almost every case, there are options. It's just understanding the contract. 
the contract and what your options truly are. Read the words that are written. Yes. Read the words that you write. And truly understand them. Or for instance, mergentable title, which is now a big one on the contract that a lot of people have no idea what that means. I was just fixing the Yeah, that. right. So, I mean, which could save a contract in the end if there's a title issue. Well, it could also so, hurt you. I mean, it could. Yeah, I, if you're in, in a position. Situation. Yes, I agree. If you're, uh, if you're on the a, other side of it. Well, and, and I had a buyer. Look at a property, and I had I was advised when I first got into real estate, just put 30 days mercantile title. Mm. If there's an issue, it'll work itself out, and you'll have the automatic 30 day extension for the contract. Yeah, except for written. the fact that there's all kinds of moving parts still going into all of this while you're waiting well, for that 14 day or 30 day well, time that's, to that's come. That's the deal. Like, so, so what it is is particular buyer, we get through, and there's title issue. Mm. He's like, hey, I'm ready to pull the plug. I'm like, you can't. The contract has expired, but because there's title issues, now you fall on the marketable titles. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is thinking ahead. You know, think about what could potentially happen from the decision that you're making. Yeah. What they're probably, what their next step is going to be. If I send this offer, if I were thinking like the seller on the other end, what do I think they would do? Well, I mean, talking about this crazy time, and I bet you can go to any agent in any city in this, in anywhere in this country right now. And go back 18 months, two years ago. Yeah. All those people that had houses that were, you know, under contract, they yeah. had just sold. And then all of a sudden, prices skyrocket. Right. And say, man, I just sold that exact house that was in better condition than this one. And I made less money than that. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. I'm but sorry. you don't know. And it it's just know. like the people that listed their house in January. Versus the people that listed their house here in March. I mean, no one expected that in that quick of a time frame, things were going to flip, you know? Almost instantaneously. Right. But it's the same thing on the flip side. I mean, the people that listed in 2019, that then waited, you know, that didn't list in 2020. I mean, it's the same. Well, and I bought my house in 2015 and I got a good price for what I've got in that same house now. Even with the, the the little bit of updating that I've done, like I haven't gone completely through and, and updated every square inch of it. But I guarantee you, I'm seventy five thousand to one hundred thousand dollars in equity more than when I bought it. That was in twenty fifteen. Oh yeah, just because of where I, I don't am. doubt that at all, especially no. in Ascension Parish. Yeah, Ascension Parish, flood zone X, hidden flood sixteen, and I'm sitting on an acre. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's hard to find out in the Ascension. I mean, people people call me all the time. I love your road. Is there anything for sale on that road? No. But if it was, I mean, you're looking at... I'll call you when it is. 350 or <laughs> I mean, you know, right around the corner from my house, there was another house. A little bit bigger acreage. Uh, it's a newer house. but still that same uh, kind of Acadian style. Uh, it sold for almost $700,000. Oh, wow. Maybe you should redo the value on your property now. Maybe I should do a little bit of updating and put a simple sign in the yard, right? Well, well, I don't know, because then you're going to end up with the with not an acre. No, not in this parish. But I mean, that goes back to knowing your business. When you get into this business, yeah, when you're in real estate school, you just learn about the the laws and how what you should and should not be doing legally. Right. And you learn about your terms and your vocabularies and, and all this and that. But as far as like the actual process, 
No, you don't learn any of that. You don't learn about the different styles. And the truth be told, I don't know the damn different styles. I know what an Acadian house looks like. And everything else on that list, if it's not an Acadian style, it's probably a freaking You Google it? No, that's traditional. I, oh, yeah, that's what I do, too. <laughs> I can't say anything to that. Like you, I go and I look at the neighborhood, and I'll see if other people have listed something that was similar. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay, that's what's <laughs> If you were in the, you know, the Pacific Northwest or... You know, everything around here Coast, is similar. It, it might be you know, contemporary. If we're in the yeah. Northeast, the Atlantic Northeast, it was probably going to be a, an English Tudor or... A, Okay, so you style. do know your houses. <laughs> I do. Like here, we're not, it's like there's not it's much. Acadian or it's like or, or you else. go to New Orleans and it's a shotgun. Yeah, that's yeah, shotgun right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or a little know. Acadian style. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you being um, a part of this today. Um, that was uh, Justin Manning with uh, Keller Williams Real Estate. And Keller Williams Land Division. Can't forget to throw that in, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, specializes in the land division. Right. And, um, of course, this is Amanda Ruiz with Agent Resource Consulting. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.